0: recall of the whoops you got it. no no don't touch it you, you touch it <laughs> all right all right so jesus has has come and he has proven himself victorious overcoming a number of things that sometimes get lost in the shuffle the The amount of good he's done is greater than we sometimes give him credit for because we haven't seen how this has all worked, uh, worked out, what it is that we're dealing with that is bigger than what is typically assumed. Uh, and it's enough to stop at one, but we have some seriously huge things going on And so we're going to look at overcoming in this Edify series. So beginning in Genesis, we're going to have some reminders. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So He's created, and and there's no word for universe in Hebrew, so the heavens, the universe, the earth... And then God looks at it. This is in uh, Genesis 1, the last verse. I, God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. So he is happy with what he has, what he's done, the creativity, the creatures that exist. All of it is is working well. It is made in this material universe, it, existing within a heaven that is an immaterial or a material beyond what we know the supernatural side of the of things the spiritual is where all that comes from but those remember we we're dealing with some times in the creation when those heavenly beings the deities that exist out there with god that existed before the heavens and the earth are are cheering him on as this is unfolding so they're observing they're participating they're 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 liking what's happening to a point and then we have a rebellion in genesis 3 and this is where we pick up the serpent and the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the lord god had made okay so we've got something going on here that that kind of turns one day he asked the woman, "Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden?" So here's a serpent, who's not a normal serpent, who is twisting God's words for a purpose. So, in the, as we are given the information in the story, we we have an idea of how this unfolded and the direction that this uh, the serpent that's shown up here is. Directing things just to raise doubt to shoot at whatever God has done and God saying this is good and he's saying eh, Maybe not. Let's let's just see. Let's you know, you're, you're being limited here And she says, of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat God said you must not eat or even touch it if you do you will die So she's added a little to this even in the process of uh, this conversation, this strange conversation with the serpent, as God has said, it's all good. Now we have a creature in the midst of this who is raising doubt, but also doing it on purpose to redirect this uh, the, the man and the woman. And we discover later on in Scripture that this particular being has uh, has it out for what god has created jealousy uh, not liking the idea that that human beings are going to be uh, part of god's family and have access and control of the earth he's given them dominion and uh, that's not going over well so let's just spoil it let's see what we can do to drive a hole right through the middle of this Okay, so you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. That was a very helpful lie. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So this whole idea of, of knowledge, of knowing more, experiencing more, knowing more, understanding more is enough. Of course, we know that the rebellion takes place. This... Creature, the serpent, has already rebelled and has already taken uh, a turn. Now that is affecting the, the man and the woman, which takes all of humanity another direction. So that's our first rebellion. That, and and the, the first thing that has to be overcome, and this is the one typically we stop at. So we go, when sin entered in, that into the universe or into our world or into the humanity... That divided us from God, and all of our problems stem from this one, but there are more given, so we have to review those as well so that we have an idea of what Jesus has come to overcome. We have the corruption. I know we've, we've covered parts of this as well in the last few weeks, but let's, let's return to that again. Genesis chapter 6. So we have the Genesis 3 rebellion. We have the, in Genesis 6 the corruption and there's a first world the one that God created and said it was good then it gets it gets spoiled because of the sin of Adam and Eve and then and then death enters in and so the first world has the brokenness and there's that has now been affected but now we pick up Genesis chapter 6 and this is at the end of the first world so Genesis 6, 1 through 5, Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. That's a kind way of saying that, because they don't really. It just says woman. They're women. We're just, they're, there's a different interest here. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. In those days, and for some time after, giant Nephilites or Nephilim lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry. He had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. So this corruption comes in, and and the extent of human wickedness is that this group of people, those without faith, those who are not walking with God, uh, who he's uh, addressing this to, every thought, everything they did, totally evil. They've just gone, it's so corrupt. But what they have involved in this is those angelic beings, those, those... spiritual beings out from outside have now intervened in the world. And now we have these uh, half-breeds that are somewhat Elohim and human. And those beings are giants in the land and where the mythology and the lore from all the Romans and Greeks and the, all the other cultures that we've read about uh, start showing up in human history but they're a definite problem it's included in the book of genesis because god is giving us clues here's the things we got to deal with first one is the sin and death and death has entered in that's going to be a theme all the way through and we have jesus who's going to deal with that we have corruption and now we have angelic beings who have now rebelled and they've corrupted humanity in a whole different way. And we have half breeds that are a part of all of that. So now we've got another level of things. It is there, the corruption, because God says, I am sorry I ever did this. I'm going to destroy them. And he does so by a flood. He chooses Noah, people of faith, Noah and his family, and they're going to be on the boat. And everybody else is going to be taken out because that's all that's left. And he's. He's decided to clean up the earth because of this, the intensity of this corruption. And it's coming again. Jesus has told us that it's going to be like in the days of Noah, and it's going to roll back around. I'm going to have to deal with it again. But this is first world, so this is what brought on the end of, first, of the first world. They got so corrupt, and the angelic, and the human, and these half-breeds, and we got other problems, and the corruption is so thick that the flood has to come to deal with them. We have uh, division in chapter 11 of Genesis, because we we have the three, we have the rebellion, the corruption, and the division. And Genesis 11, at one time all the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, Let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. And then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. So the idea uh, of these towers, these ziggurats, the, the um, and, and you see them, these are scattered all over because humanity carried these things after the flood that design to different places is the meeting place of of humans and gods. So Eden, the Garden of Eden, is a well watered, lush place where God has planted this garden. It's beautiful. And that's where Adam and Eve meet with God in that place. It's it's also a high place. And it's referred to as a, a mountain garden that's on the top of this place that's top of this mountain so you meet with god so god walks with them that's you remember they're hiding from him and they hear god walking in the cool of the day and they don't say well this is unusual god has come to walk it's just that's what's normal there are angels available to guard access to the garden of eden when they're sent out so there's there are things that take place there that give us clues that this this is a lush place unique god wanted them to take the idea of this meeting place into the whole world multiply and turn the earth into this great place filled with people where God could meet with all of us and so he's set that in motion of course the serpent comes along temptation happens sin breaks death comes in so now they're trying to reenact let's build a high place where we can meet with God let's build a tower let's put a place together so we can have God come down and we will control him the idea of these high places is to have a God, the, whatever these, uh, even these other named gods that are actually these angelic beings who have rebelled, let's meet with them. And so they'll have a high place. They'll have a, ta- a temple. They'll have a tower, some kind. So in this case, we have the, this tall ziggurat going up, and they want to make themselves famous. God said, I want you to go and spread and fill the earth. And he told them that, told no that after the flood. They decide, no, nope, we don't want to do that. We want to do the opposite. Let's, let's do this. It'll make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. And that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world. And they stopped building the city. And that's why the city was called Babel. Because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. So he divides up the people. And he's talking when he says, let's, let's, let's go down. He's talking to the other Elohim, the other deities that are with him in his council, the that the the heavenly beings that are around him, and we get some picture of that in Revelation too, that they're he's surrounded, we've got the elders, we've got all these different kinds of beings that are represented there. And he's talking to these, and he says, Well, let's we, we just go down and see what they're doing. And they they take a look, and the Lord says, That's it. We're gonna we're gonna change this scatters them all over the world, and we're still learning different languages because of that. And it did divide people, and it took them in a number of different directions. But we have this, this Savior who comes and addresses all of these things. So we have rebellious beings, rebellious heavenly beings, angelic beings, who've taken a turn, and, and out of jealousy and and their own egos, and each one is free. Uh, God has built us into all of his creatures, the ability to freely choose him or not. And he builds that in there because he wants to be acknowledged for who he is, not force it, just, just allow the freedom for people, for these beings. And they've rebelled, and then they influence us, and they've been influenced people since the beginning, since the serpent, and since the time in the garden, and the corruption that happened and that, that took things a different direction as well as, as the Tower of Babel. And we have this, this effect on the world. And so we're given all three of these in the first 11 chapters of Genesis to give us an idea. This is what God is going to deal with. So we read that and we find out this is where, the, as he's going through the years, centuries that come, that he is going to address these and we're told in Genesis three, he's sending somebody. He's going to send somebody who's going to step on the head of the serpent. This, it's going to be this is going to be put to an end, and it's going to be turned around. But it's not all just Genesis chapter three. There's other rebellions, and we get them all given to us here, so that we have some ideas to what we're dealing with. Death becomes a huge factor. Death is just a a theme. And death being the separation of the body uh, from the spirit, separation of a human from God, separation from paradise, from from order and, cha- and then into chaos. Death means separation. So any of those separations. He said, now you do that, here comes death. And death will drive a huge wedge between us uh, and God and between us and one another. This thing is, is on us. So we have... Rebellion, corruption, division. And then we come to this. As Paul is dealing with putting things together and pointing to what Jesus has done, he picks this, this up. Romans 5, verse 17. The triumph. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater, even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness. Righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. He did it. He changed it. Greater than all of that, all of this brokenness, all of the sin, all of the rebellions that have happened, here's this, this one man. Jesus comes and he does this amazing thing by giving himself, and, it, and there's so many layers to what he accomplished, in his death, what his, his sacrifice means, what his suffering and leading up to his death on the cross meant, the blood on the cross meant, all, all of those things are, are dealing with a, a variety of fixing a number of broken things. Death is huge in this whole scene uh, as well. So we've got to overcome death because, the, as this says, death caused death to rule over many. The idea of death, the fear of death, the unknown, what's behind the veil, what's on the other side of the river. All those things have been, in every culture, with every human being, a huge factor. What's out there? What is this? How How do we beat it? Or I don't care, I'm going to pretend like it's not there. We've approached it in all kinds of ways. But Jesus comes and greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness because he brings something new into this but it's not just our sin and the division he had more that was going on and that's we want to pick that up in colossians he disarmed disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross So, think back. You've seen some movies or images, some pictures of Jesus on the cross. He's outside of Jerusalem. He's got two others nailed to crosses next to him. And there's a little gathering of some, well, Roman soldiers are there, a group of people who are ridiculing him, mocking him. His mom is there, John shows up. We just have... That group of people, what did they know about what happened to Jesus at that time? They know, here's a good man who's been doing miraculous things. Mary knows a whole lot more because the angel came and talked to her early on. But she doesn't understand what this death is all about. My son, hey, he's only in his 30s. And the Romans have had mock trials, not even fair, and now they beat him. Nearly to death, and now they put him up on a cross. So, in that crowd, do they have the theological wherewithal to understand what Jesus is doing up there? And if you watch The Passion of the Christ, you just get, you're just weeping because it just is so painful, so hard to take. That's what they saw. So, why Colossians chapter 2? Why Colossians 2? Who was shamed publicly by his victory over them on the cross? The Romans? The Jewish leaders? John the Apostle? Who was shamed? Those heavenly beings who were in rebellion, who have worked their way into all of this from Genesis... Are watching and they're they know this is their end they think at first oh we're gonna kill the son of God we're just gonna put an end to him Satan's been trying to do that since he showed up remember they killed the babies in Bethlehem they're just trying to get rid of them let's not let this happen let's put an end to this before it ever gets started not successful now they got him beaten. They get the courts to turn. They got the Jews to turn on him. The Romans have killed him. Maybe we got it now. And he dies on the cross. And he has victoriously, publicly humiliated them. Their schemes get turned on its head. They think they're winning. And he has disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Did anybody see him? Nope. But God told Paul, and he let him know, this is what was going on. No, it's just about my sin, and, and, and I get to go to heaven now. You know, whatever, I just get to go to heaven. No, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. There are heavenly beings who were placed in high places. They were on the counsel of God, who served with him, who rebelled. And God is not done yet. And he's dealing with them. He's dealing with us, for sure. But he's dealing with them as well. He's taking them all out. And Jesus has won the victory. Jesus dies on the cross. He disarms the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So what's the public? Those rebellious ones. There's also the ones who have never rebelled. Those who are there to worship who are rejoicing. And Jesus said, if I wanted 10,000 angels armed to come, Pilate, all I have to do is call on them. They're there. And they are cheering because they know what just took place. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross. Revelation chapter 7, there's unity. After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. They get it. And this is people from every nation tribe every group every people group every language they were divided they were sent all around the world and so we need those bibles like cash devers is telling about us we need the gideons out there getting these bibles out to people all around the world because these people from all these nations and all these tribes are going to stand here with jesus on that day there's unity salvation comes from our god who sits on the throne and from the lamb And all of those rebellions, all the corruption, all the division will be overcome. And he will have the victory. He will overcome it all. So we reframe. We begin to rethink as we read through Scripture to see how these things show up. When you read through the Gospels, you will see Jesus addressing these different rebellions as you go through. They're all there and he's dealing with different... Sometimes you may say, why did he choose to do that that way? Well, if you back away from just Genesis 3 and realize Genesis 6 and Genesis 11 play a part, you go, oh, it was for that group there, not that person here. And he is dealing with something. It may be a demon. It may be the way he addresses a truth. But he's revealing himself to them and dealing with because they know this. They all know this. So reframe. The three pivotal events, the rebellion, corruption, and division. God, whose creation was very good, allowed sin and rebellion by his creatures. He is so sovereign, he is so able, that he can handle even that. And we don't like things. You know, one thing messes up a little bit. We're, we're just in a panic over fixing it, making sure it gets straightened out and lined up. And, and he's going, let it play out. I'm going to bring this thing around my way, and he will be victorious. History reflects God's working in triumph toward all that is good. He's using all of history, all the movements, all the rebellions, and he's moving everything towards all that is good. He has not let go of the reins, he is still in charge. And he is a great God, and he is good. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for all the things that you have given us. Thank you for the scriptures that guide us, that show us what you're doing and how you're doing it. Thank you for the, for the triumph, for the victory that is to come, that is uh, overcoming all that is chaotic and evil and dark. You are turning that around. And one day, we will all be together. One people, one language. And we will all praise you. And we look forward to that day. And we give you thanks for this one in Jesus' name. Amen.